0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. We are are happy to be here today. What a great day it is to be in the house of God. A great day for it to be the 4th of July. As I was thinking about today's message and what I was going to preach, I, I thought a lot about the state of our union. and Not that I'm going to give a state of the union address because that's not my place but uh i thought about how we undoubtedly were found upon judeo-christian values and i don't care what anybody tells you all you have to do is do a little bit of research and you'll find that that is absolutely the case how those that came over to settle this land were primarily seeking religious freedom how they worked with the native americans and even depended on them for survival for those first several years I began to think about the heroes that I'd learned about in grade school, those daring patriotic heroes that are literally the reason why we are here today. I thought about Christopher Columbus, who first landed in 1492, then Captain John Smith, whose actions were paramount in the success and restoration of Jamestown in 1608, 116 years after Columbus had first landed. Then there's, of course, George Washington, the famous general of the Continental Army, who fought the british for our independence he became our first president in 1789 think of that the time between columbus landing here and george washington becoming our first president was almost 300 years our nation isn't even that old we're only 245 years today that's what birthday we're celebrating and i as i continue to think of all the the heroes that, that come back to mind when you start thinking in these veins. I I thought of Betsy Ross. I thought of Thomas Jefferson, the the Abraham Lincolns, the, the Harriet Tubmans, and just really all those heroes that not only helped discover and found our nation, but so many heroes that have helped develop and even preserve our nation. The presidents that made decisions that held our nation together, and the military personnel that have bled and given their very lives to preserve this freedom that we take for granted so often. Those pastors and even true civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. and and Billy Graham, who made huge contributions to our society and who we are today. And when I think about today and how our own American citizens have began to look back over the the last 500 years of our history from pre-nation settlements to where we are today, and how history in some places with some people is being rewrote, And how some of those imperfect heroes that we used to hold up and honor are being trashed for being imperfect individuals, it saddens my heart. Not everyone, not everything is always as it seems. And as a nation, our past has many examples of people doing horrific things. We are not a perfect nation. We have some pages in our history that should flat out embarrass us. But just as a race cannot be defined by the actions of one of its members. And just as an entire family shouldn't be judged by one of its members or ancestors, nations should not be condemned for the actions and behaviors of a few individuals or groups from generations past. Yeah, clap if you wanna clap. The subject of nationalism, the idea that we live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth, that idea is dying. But I want you to know something today, and I'm not afraid to share this or say this publicly or online or anything. I still believe that we are a great nation. Definitely not perfect. We have some major obstacles and hurdles ahead of us. Uh, The the greed and the pride in our own success has been choking off the blessing of God over us as a nation for quite some time now, but we still, I believe, are the greatest nation in this world today. And hear me, especially you younger people, No other nation has ever liberated more people. No other nation has sent more missionaries around the world. No other nation has given more humanitarian aid, not even remotely close, than the United States of America. Yeah, amen. We have been a beacon of hope for millions across the world who live in true oppression And if this were not true, we we wouldn't have millions trying to cross the border illegally just to get a taste of the freedom that we so flippantly enjoy on a daily basis. And again, I know that our past is sordid. Slavery is one of those things that many within our nation embraced for almost 100 years. But it is also true that a war was fought 160 years ago, a civil war that killed nearly 625,000 of our citizens and this was a significant percentage of our population back then as we were only about 31,430,000 people. It was about 2% of the population died in the Civil War. That's significant, church. That's how much we cared about getting rid of slavery. So again, praying and and thinking about today's message. Lord, what what do you want me to say? What what do you want me to preach about? It's the 4th of July and our great nation is in trouble. And the Lord just kept bringing up the thought of, of, of digging wells within my heart. Well digging. What in the world does that have to do with America and patriotism? So I started remembering that all through the Bible there are references to wells and who built them, Old Testament and New And if it's in the Bible, it's significant, isn't it? So I want to land in Genesis 26 this morning. It's just one of the references to Wells. And I want to hang my hat there, so to speak, and hang out there a little bit. So I want to start with Genesis 26, 1 through 6. A severe famine now struck the land, as had happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac moved to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, "'Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and will give them all these lands, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed.'" I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So here you have... This is the time of Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son. You know, Isaac was the one that Abraham was going to sacrifice, as God told him, but then stopped him and stopped Abraham. And and, and Isaac uh, uh, continued to live. And Abraham uh, got old, and he eventually passed away. And so now we're, we're looking at Isaac's life. And so here you have history repeating itself. God appeared to Isaac, and he reminded him. Everybody say reminded. God reminded him of the promise he had given Abraham, his father, while well, at the same time giving him the same promise. And the promise was basically this. If you will obey me, God says, and, you, and, and all of my requirements, all my commands, all my decrees, all my instructions, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and they will inherit the lands, and, and you will inherit the lands I will give, give to you. They will become a nation, so to speak, and every nation of the earth will be blessed because of you, Isaac. That was the promise. And it's a conditional promise. If you meet the conditions, God was saying, if you what, if you obey all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions, then this will be true for you. I will fulfill the promise. But let's be real. Has there ever been a nation, not, I mean, ever in the history of time that's been perfect? There hasn't been, not one, not then, not now, not Israel, and certainly not America. There has never been a nation that has been perfect, but there have been nations that have been blessed because of their obedience to the Lord. And as you read through the scriptures, you do get this sense of the more obedient a nation is, the more blessings flow from God. There's obedience, and it's so important to the fulfillment of the promise. It's the condition to the promise. In other part of Scripture, it says to obey is better than sacrifice. God desires obedience in all that we do. He desires it from us above all else. He said, if you will obey me in all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions, that's when you'll be blessed. And let me remind, remind us all that part of that obedience is asking forgiveness and repenting when we stumble as, the, as imperfect humans, as the imperfect humans that we are. That's part of being obedient. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm going to repent of that. How many have had to repent of something you thought, said, or did in the last couple of days? It's kind of, You kind of get good at it, don't you? When you realize how holy he is and how holy we're not, when you're not trying to prop yourself up and and say how good you are, when you can look in the mirror and, and, and deal with reality that we are sinful, we're forgiven and we're free, no doubt, but there is sometimes sin that creeps back in, and if we're not in the fight, it can creep up and begin to take over and pull us away from that blessing. Obedience. Even if that means being obedient in asking forgiveness and repenting, it's important and as we read on in Genesis 26, verse 7 through 11, you will have, I think, a deja vu moment if you've read the rest of Genesis, because Isaac ends up doing the same thing that Abraham, his father, had done. He lies about his wife being his sister. That's what Abraham did with his wife. To, to really the, the, the king of the Philistines, it the wasn't the same person, it was Abimelech. It was a different Abimelech, because that's more of a title rather than a name, but he told the same lie that's not my wife that's my sister and they both did this because they were fearful that the beauty of their wives would cause the men in the land to become jealous and they would kill them to get their wives isn't it interesting how the sins of the father will be recommitted by their children not that the children are somehow destined to commit them i'm not saying that not at all but because the trail has already been blazed and because they've seen their parents go down those paths, there's just, it's a pull. There's an easier path because it's, they've seen it. Again, it doesn't mean they have to. We do see God bail out Isaac and just as he did Abraham in that scripture. The king of the Philistines found out. He questioned Isaac as to why he would lie about something like that. And then he issued a proclamation saying that if anybody touched just as he did with with Abraham. If anybody touched uh, their wives, Sarah in Abraham's case, Rebecca in Isaac's, that they would be put to death. And I bring this up because it shows beyond doubt that these men who were called by God and who were given the promise of God, that their descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the the seashore and as as, as numerous as the stars in the sky. God was promising them that they would be a nation, That their descendants would create a nation, there'd be so many of them. And all the nations in the world would be blessed because of them. That was his promise to them. And yet, these two men were far from perfect. Stay with me here. Genesis 26, 12 through 16. When Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. He became a very rich man and his wealth continued to grow. He acquired so many flocks of sheep and goats, herds of cattle, and servants that the Philistines became jealous of him. So the Philistines filled up all of Isaac's wells with dirt. These were the wells that had been dug by the servants of his father Abraham. So here we see the fulfillment of God's promise starting to happen. Isaac became wealthy and blessed enough to support his entire family and the families of all who served and worked for him. So so much, in fact, that the Philistines began to fear him and become jealous. So they filled in all of his wells. They, Because wells were a life-giving source. They had water. And, and in that part of the world, you had to have water. It's still everything in this part of the world. It, it, it represents wealth and, and is essential for the growth of that wealth. And they didn't like the fact that That he was getting The Philistines didn't like the fact that Isaac was getting so blessed So they cut off his water supply But I don't think the blessing stopped All of his wells have been filled But then the next verse seems to give the reason That Isaac left the region You think, well, my wells are filled up, I'm leaving That's not what it says Genesis 26, 16 Finally, Abimelech ordered Isaac to leave the country Go somewhere else, he said For you have become too powerful for us So the wells were filled. I I believe Isaac, it doesn't say it, but it doesn't not say it. And and if you put it together and you look at what's going on here and you stick it with other scriptures about how God blesses us even in the midst of famine, when that water supply was cut off by, by Isaac's enemies who were jealous of him, it didn't even stop the flow of God's blessing. But then when the king of the Philistines, Abimelech, asked him to leave, he left willingly to avoid war and he did so knowing that his god would provide. Isaac left because he was asked to leave and didn't want to cause issues politically or militarily. It's part of being under God's blessing. Genesis 26:17 through 18. So Isaac moved away to Gerar Valley, to the Gerar Valley where he set up their tents. And settled down. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. Isaac also restored the, the names Abraham had given to those wells. So just put yourself in the midst of Isaac at, at this moment in his life. He's been obedient, he's experienced the blessing of God, but he hasn't forgotten that it is the Lord that has blessed him and not his own greatness that has made him great. That would be a very good thing for us to remember as Americans that this country is not great because we're so great. It's great because we serve a great God. Amen. Isaac just moved to a new area not far from the city of Gerar. He moves into what the Bible calls the Valley of Gerar. And then, if you're, if you're trying to just see it through the eyes of Isaac... I mean, he gets there, he leaves this place where he's prospering, they fill in his wells, he still prospers, and the king asks him to leave, so he leaves, he doesn't go very far away. He gets there, and what does he find? All the wells that his father had dug, they're all filled in. He encounters more filled-up wells. They'd filled up the wells his father had dug when he had dwelt in this land, so he reopens them in order to sustain the lives of his family. The families of those that served and worked for him and the livestock that he owned. Open wells were the only way he could prosper. And I want to take you back to Genesis 26, 17 through 18. So Isaac moved to the, the, the Gerar, Gerar Valley where he set up their tents and settled down. And then verse 18, so important, I want you to hear this again. He reopened the wells his father had dug, which the Philistines had filled in after Abraham's death. He re-dug them. I think it's interesting that he didn't try to dig new ones. He just redug the old ones. So as Brother Jory Hunderdoss would say, let's start connecting the dots a bit. Isaac had to reopen the wells that his father had dug to sustain the nation that he would eventually become. Isaac had sons, Jacob and Esau, as most of you know, and the blessing of God passed from, from, to Abraham, from Abraham to Isaac and then ultimately to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel and the rest is history, so to speak. But what if Isaac hadn't reopened those good, life-sustaining wells that his father Abraham had dug? The nation of Israel and its future existence was, at least in part, dependent on this on Isaac reopening these life-giving wells. And this idea of of re-digging wells should speak pretty loud and clear to us here today. We have a nation that has moved, not physically, but morally it has shifted away from its foundations. We live in a nation that is being destroyed from within. Those deep life-giving wells that those who have gone before us have dug are being filled in and plugged up. Those heroes from our past, Our founding fathers, those pastors, those evangelists, those civil rights leaders, those military men and women who have fought to preserve our freedom, they dug wells that have given this nation life and sustained that life. They were imperfect men and women. I'm gonna say it again. They were imperfect men and women because there's not such a thing as perfect men and women. There was only one perfect man, and his name was Jesus, and they nailed him to the cross. So these were imperfect men and women who dug good wells. Can I say something really, really astounding and, and really amazing to you today? I hope. It shouldn't be that amazing. Imperfect people can do great things, imperfect people can dig good wells. And if we want to continue to exist as a nation, we must redig those good, life giving wells, we must open them back up if we are to be better than the last generation i'm a firm believer in getting involved in the political system to to keep from falling into a place where we are under ungodly leadership we need to vote we need to run for office we need to be a part of the process for sure but more importantly we need to redig those spiritual wells that those heroes of the past those that have made this nation great dug in the past we need to reopen those suckers And I'm just going to mention a few of them. You can think of lots of them, but but one of them I thought of right away was the wells of prayer. The wells of prayer. There are wells of prayer that were dug by individuals within our nation's history, imperfect people who dug wells of prayer. Let me give you an example Columbus, upon landing here in the Western world in 1492, knelt down and prayed as they got off the boat. Columbus named the land San Salvador, which means Holy Savior in honor of Jesus Christ. There's a painting in our nation's capital that depicts this event. the, The painting is called Landing of Columbus by John Vanderlyn. It looks like this. It's a huge painting in the rotunda building of the capital. It's them kneeling and praying. You see the cross. It gives you an idea of what was going on in Columbus's mind when he sailed here. He was actually... Taking a missionary journey, if you will, if you read his diaries. And I know there's all sorts of things that are said about him today. I mean, we used to have a whole day celebrating him, that's been wiped away. Well, you don't know how terrible he was. He did these terrible things. Yeah, I don't. You read his diaries and you look at history, and there's some good things. But I will say this he was probably very imperfect, but he still prayed. Charles Finney was a powerful man of prayer. He would pray outside the cities and, that he was about to preach in. Sometimes for weeks, he'd pray down the strongholds over the cities. And then as the Holy Spirit released him to preach, he'd see whole cities come to Christ with repentant hearts. And Charles Finney was a great preacher, but I can guarantee you this, he wasn't a perfect man. I preached the gospel uh, to the best of my ability every single Sunday from this pulpit. And... and I, I know that I'm an imperfect man. Yeah, thank you. It's true. Prayer warriors, warriors like our founding fathers, who many were involved in drafting National Day of Prayer declarations. Thomas Jefferson, for instance, drafted a resolution for a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. He was imperfect, but he knew the power of prayer. William J. Seymour, a black American preacher who was born to uh, emancipated slaves, prayed for five hours a day for over two and a half years. He was the pastor of the church that ushered in the Azusa Street Revival, which birthed several Pentecostal groups, including the Assemblies of God. These are people who dug wells of prayer, people in our past, founding fathers, politicians, Preachers, you name it, civil rights leaders. There are people that that dug these wells of prayer and they prayed for this nation. Redigging those wells takes effort and work. It's not easy and it's not even fun or entertaining. But if we want the life-sustaining power that comes from an open well of prayer, we have to redig those wells regardless of the original diggers and their faults. You see, we live in a world and in a culture that wants to demonize anything or anybody that ever did anything good because no one's perfect. But then, what do we have to look back to in the way of heroes? and What can we even celebrate at all? It's, it's the beginning of the end of a nation when you get that, to that place. When you don't have heroes We can point fingers at every single person. In this room and within our history, of course. But it doesn't mean that they didn't dig good wells. Wells of the word. Wells of prayer. Wells of the word is another one. What about wells of the word of God? These wells need to be reopened. The Bible has never been more accessible to us than it is today. It's easier to understand because of the study helps that are free and available to anyone through the internet. They were dug deep and gave life to this nation for years. You can find scriptures all over government buildings in Washington, D.C. You can't tell me that the the Bible was not ultra important. In fact, it's been estimated that 96% of all the quotes of our founding fathers were based off of scriptures or were exactly scriptures, The scriptures are the basis to our governmental structure. They're the source of our laws. And there are three paintings besides the landing of Columbus that are displayed in the rotunda of our nation's capitol building, one of which depicts a Bible study that took place just before the pilgrims set sail for America. Robert W. Ware's embarkation of the pilgrims. It's right there. They got the word of God out, and they're all gathered around it, studying it before they... Take this daring journey that would last five months to get here. And largely, they came for religious freedom. The Bible was also used to teach reading in many public schools up until 1949. I don't know if you knew that. In fact, the first Bible printed in the United States was done so by the oversight of the U.S. Congress in 1782. Can you imagine Congress, instead of bickering and arguing, working on getting the first Bible published? boy, some things have changed. It was recommended by Congress, this particular Bible was recommended by Congress for use of the inhabitants of the United States, it says right in there, and was intended to be used within the public schools. These are national wells that have been closed up and we need to reopen them regardless of the imperfections of those that originally dug them. Wells of boldness. The wells of boldness and guts that were displayed by so many in our past. Boldness to step out and call sin what it was and what it is. Boldness to declare themselves sovereign from a tyrannical nation which meant inevitable war. Boldness to leave home and family to stand up and fight against fascism and its spread. Preachers who have been bold enough to ignore public opinion and political correctness to preach the truth and co- call not only their congregations but their nation back to God. Patrick Henry famously said give me liberty or give me death we know that but he also said this it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists but by Christians not on religions but on the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's a very bold statement from the man who was largely responsible for writing what we call the Bill of Rights General Patton was bold he was a bold man of prayer he saw prayer as a force, a force of nature, a force of God, really. Not, not just some words uttered. He thought that everyone praying together was like a force field, like an x-ray. You couldn't see it, but, but it could shape and affect things with a, power, with a power unto itself, he said. That's why he had the whole third army pray and issue a directive on prayer because he thought it would help them accomplish their mission. There was even one chaplain when they were in dire straits, he looked right at him and he said, I want you to write me a prayer and it better work. It better be a good one. And he's like, What what, you want me to write a prayer? Yes, that we're successful in our in our quest. He goes, So you want me to write a prayer that we are successful in destroying our enemy and killing our enemy? He goes, Yep. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of boldness. So bold. Many didn't like him but I guarantee you, he was monumental in our winning World War II. Preachers like Charles Spurgeon. He preached some unbelievable messages. You you can read his sermons online. Many of them are free online. One of the things I loved that he said was, tears or liquid prayer i always remember that billy sunday who actually did a crusade in indianola long ago and it's part of the reason that we have a christian heritage in this county you can trace it back billy sunday and i got that picture because he was he was just wild when he would preach he was a pro baseball player who went preacher gotta love that right who would recruit him for the church softball team right he used to stand on the pulpit. He'd get so excited. He'd stand on the pulpit and he'd call people to repentance. He had a direct effect in Warren County in Indianola. And there's Billy Graham. He, all these guys continually said things that were culturally bold and even controversial at times. These men dug wells of boldness and we must reopen them, church. We need to open those wells of boldness again. Not ignoring the fact that they were originally dug by imperfect individuals but embracing the truth that even though we are all sinners, we can still accomplish great things for the Lord within this great nation. There's wells of compassion. There have been wells of compassion that have been dug by individuals throughout our history. Individuals who put themselves in the shoes of others and saw what others experienced through their eyes. We tend to see these see this well dug and redug during times of, of crisis. Uh, people dig these wells and, or redig them when, when times get tough. Compassion has consistently been our response as Americans to those who are hurting. And all you have to do is think about our natural disasters and the amount of money that is raised to benefit those affected by those disasters. The American population is full of givers, church, but there are those who desire to take and take again, filling those wells of compassion. But this is a well we cannot afford to lose as a nation, regardless of takers, so we keep giving. We are wise about our giving. Compassion doesn't mean that we allow individuals who, who, who only take to keep on taking, and it doesn't mean that we are weak, okay? Okay? It means that we are givers at heart. We care about individual needs, and we put others before ourselves. Compassion plays out in the giving of money, food, medical care, time spent, listening. Compassion is a vital part of who we are, and we must keep our wells of compassion open. And that doesn't mean that anyone can just come and take from us whatever they want or demand that we give up all we have. Compassion isn't letting everyone trample you. It's about being giving and caring while at the same time being wise. So that you can keep giving. I, I, I got to say this. When we, when we allow people to take advantage of our compassionate results in those wells being filled in. Because we can't be compassionate anymore if we don't have nothing to be compassionate with. They suck us of resource, whether it be time, energy, whatever. We have to keep those wells open though regardless of that. And I don't have any famous names of ultra-compassionate Americans because most of those heroes go unnamed and largely stay out of the spotlight. They're just silently compassionate. They're the ones who help their neighbors and maybe stick a $1,000 in a family's mailbox when, at Christmas time when times get rough, or they mow a, a neighbor's yard or scoop a, an elderly person's snow. This country was built on compassion, And we can't stop being compassionate. There are churches, soldiers, and countless individuals who have heroically shown deep compassion for their fellow man throughout this nation's history. And church, these are just some of the wells. Wells of prayer, wells of the word, wells of boldness, wells of compassion. These are things that this country was founded upon. And they were dug by imperfect individuals, as I've said over and over and over. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because someone was not perfect. Jesus didn't do that with us. We don't do that with each other. So why would we do that with the heroes of the past that have dug good wells? When I first came to Indianola First, Pastor Calloway said to me, I'm not easy to work for. With me... You have to eat the chicken and spit out the bones. And if you will do that, he said, I will teach you everything I know and you will keep everything you know and then you'll end up knowing twice as much as me. I think that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Because it shows that he was self-aware. Yeah, there's some bones in there. You spit those out, just eat the chicken because I got some good chicken in there too. Can we as a nation be smart enough to eat the chicken and spit out the bones? so to speak? Redig the good wells and leave the imperfections of the men and women who originally dug them on the table? Isaac didn't throw out the idea of using Abraham's wells just because his father was imperfect. Because he was. And if our nation is going to become stronger, it just makes sense to take up and run with the good that these individuals brought to the table while at the same time learning from their mistakes and not repeating them. Let's redig those good, life-sustaining wells for our nation. This is what I want to celebrate on the 4th of July, a great nation built and preserved by imperfect well diggers. Church, let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you have put people in our past, heroes, heroes, from all walks of life that have blazed trails, that have dug wells that were good, that sustained our nation, our free nation, that sustained our freedom. God, we're so thankful for, for, for all of those wells, wells of prayer, wells of boldness, wells of the word, wells, God, of compassion. And there's others, Lord, that we could name here this morning. But Father, let us be a people that does not grow weary, Or grow complacent to where we become obtuse to the fact that these people gave, in some cases, everything for what we have today. Lord, help us be the kind of people, help us be like Isaac, where we go back and we re-dig those good wells so that that life-sustaining source can, can just flow in our lives, whatever that well may be. And God, we just ask that you would be with us as we celebrate together as a family, our independence, our freedom. Bless the food that we're about to eat, God. And Lord, we just want to tell you we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.